Hello and welcome to another episode of the Huge Ass Paddock Pass. I'm Tom Anderson, your host. With me is Andrew Fawcett. Hello. And Alexander Cofford. Yo. I call you Alexander when you're in trouble. <laughs> it's uh, very, what very did boring. I do this time? Yeah. <laughs> um, you said the F1 was boring, I seem to recall. Yes, I, I recall that. <clears throat> you recall that? Yes. But we've had the Germany Grand Prix with the Hungarian Grand Prix. Two great races. What do we think? Uh, I, I want to preface my it's boring with Formula One qualifying is probably the most <laughs> exciting thing in sports. Okay, go on. Um, but no, yeah, we've had a couple really good races. And and so, in fact, this last, if we split this season, I guess we're halfway. So the second quarter has been absolutely fantastic. Yep, I would agree with Apart that. Apart from France. Yeah, France We, don't, we don't count France. Forget that. That's not a real country, so yeah. Exactly, they serve, they're fine. Just alienate an entire country of listeners. <laughs> do we have any? Do we have any? I don't know. Well, we're not going to have any now. Not anymore, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, hello, Frenchies. Um, yeah, I mean, apart from that, like German Grand Prix, what a race! If what every race. if every race could like rain and then stop raining and then rain again and like right the balance between inters and dries and full wet that was everything was on a knife edge it was fantastic it was so good and like it wasn't like there was i hate when there's a rain race and there's one clear like okay you have to be on wets or you have to be on inters it kind of the strategy was kind of all over the place and that kind of led to some really cool things happening um you know, Lance Stroll was leading the race. Like, <laughs> what? Lance Stroll was somehow there. <laughs> right. So That's fine. And I don't know. I just, I, I, it was just very interesting in the whole, you know, world champion drivers driving off the track and crashing. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. 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 It was, it was very, I, not that every race should be like that, but it, it was very it's engaging. Nice exci- it yeah. Up. It was very exciting. Lots of, you know, crazy things happening yeah and yet through it all like it wasn't an unexpected victory max verstappen won with a great drive yeah that was a fantastic drive if you can spin Uh, and still win the race (laughs) (laughs) yeah he's doing something right uh that car's working for him that engine's working for him Mm -hmm. and it was the first race that um both mercedes did not score points at all um, no, Hamilton Lewis, got Oh, did there. Lewis score points? Oh, because... Yeah, because the Alphas got disqualified. Right, okay, yeah, yeah. So Lewis, like, finished ninth. <laughs> right. So, like, he finished ninth and still extended his championship lead. <laughs> right. Which which is By a skill points. in itself. But it was so crazy to see both Mercedes make... It was, like, the same... I thought it was a replay. They made the same exact mistake in the same spot. Um, obviously, Valtteri was a little less lucky, but... It was crazy. Yeah, no, Lewis, Lewis definitely ran wide in T1 yeah. and, uh, and got away with it's it. It's so crazy uh, how small of a margin, though. Like, they were like, oh, see, he put a wheel on the, the wet there. And it was like, you know, the smallest amount of tire on the wet. And the car just went around. Right. But, I mean, talking about margins as well. Like, yeah, if you yeah. look at look at Hamilton and Leclerc in the last corner. Mm-hmm. Leclerc straight into the barriers. Hamilton right by inches. Right just knew what to do to, to massage the grip and to just steer away from disaster. And so what and Leclerc got high centered too. So yeah. even if you don't hit something, you, you still have that potential of, uh, 
you know, DNF by the fact that you're in the kitty litter. Yeah. Right. So I wanted to talk to you guys about this. What are your opinions on, and, and I don't think it really matters because we're not probably going to go back to Hockenheim, but what are your opinions on the Hockenheim final corner with the drag strip there being, as Martin Brundle called it, an ice rink? I I don't care, frankly. It's off. It's outside of the track limits. In the old days, it would have been gravel. Right. In in any sort of semblance of the word, then once you go beyond the track limits, it doesn't matter if there's no <laughs> you know grippy asphalt or not. You're at the mercy of whatever's out there, be it grass, be it gravel, be it slick tarmac, be it tires. In Monaco, there's no yeah. you know drag strip but yeah you're still going into the wall so i agree so like when you have leclerc and hulkenberg and all those guys complain like there's no grip out there and it's like well then don't well, don't drive on don't it dri- drive there, <laughs> there then. it's very very easy there's a very simple solution to that don't go out yeah there. so it's, as, i mean i understand why they said it but it still kind of was frustrating because i mean you want to hear drivers say i made a mistake i went off it's my fault you know but that's yeah. that's not often in the, in the mentality yeah. at the time. Well, like, it, yes, right, yes. Yeah. In retrospect, you can be looking back at it after a couple of days. But like when you go to time. when you go to old school, like I remember, like every time we go to when IMSA goes to Mosport or Canadian Tire, mm-hmm. or whatever. Everyone, every time we go there, the drivers are always like, "Oh, I love it. It's a proper old school circuit," you know. So I want drivers to have that mentality where it's like, but, you know, well, okay. So you brought up Mosport, right? Yeah. That that's not a turn good example. Two. Turn two has turn two a massive runoff. Is all tarmac now. <laughs> it's true. It used to be grass into a wall. As I was saying and it, now... I was like, "Oh crap!" Turn two is a big runoff. That's not a good example, <laughs> right? Oh yeah. And yes, it's safer. It's yeah. safer. Fine. It is safer, and that's yeah. good. Safe is good. Like I remember that there was a big accident there with the DP. Was it? This oh, year that was this year? year. Yeah, the um, this year. God, that was so scary. That was a horrible accident, yeah. and the fact that there was tarmac there did slow him down a little bit. It, it probably did. helped, yeah. um, despite that scary accident. And like, yeah. safety is not a bad thing. I don't think it's, it's definitely not a safety issue at, at Hockenheim. Like, they're not going fast enough, as we saw. Right. It it doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter. And if there happens to be slick tarmac out there as opposed to grippy tarmac, that just means don't drive out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's a risk. It's, uh, it's a I, risk. I like the take. uncertainty. You know, if you can kind of, you know, work your way through it and be better at the low grip power to you, you know, take advantage of that. Um, I, I enjoy the fact that it is different and, and, you know, a little bit more old school, not just, um, France's giant parking lot where you drive wherever you want. You can probably just drive straight and go home. You don't even have to, you know, I thought it was interesting. It's just an auto route. I mean, Leclerc did it several times and then it bit him. Um, which you'd think the first time you go out there and you lose a second, you'd be like, okay, don't do that again. But he did it two or three times i think he went out there now do you think that's that's a younger generation driver thing they've they've grown up conditioned to these circuits where you do have all this tarmac runoff and there is less penalty for mistakes it might be but hulkenberg was also complaining and he's been around for a while yeah but he hasn't caught any podiums though that's true <laughs> he, he was in a podium spot and i was i i, I was really it was really the chance yeah i was really bummed because i was really excited that he might get a podium and then he just stuff said you're just like no uh that was was so sad it was so sad rather unfortunate but Um, it's always fun to have a race like this where third through sixth is fiat stroll sains albon yeah you know you you think about a group of 
if I just said that lineup right there, you'd think, okay, so what the hell what? happened here? <laughs> well, no, you would think like 11th through 15th or, right. you know, or, you know, eight through whatever, but it, it's so such a good thing when chaos happens that allows people to finish in places like maybe Kafiat. That's his first podium in a long time. That's the second podium ever for um, Toro Rosso, right? Yes, yeah, since Vettel's win in 2008. At yeah, Monza. And at Monza, <laughs> as we know. As I learned from Champ Car Trivia Night, which we will get to. <laughs> more, more of that later. Um, yeah. So it's really um, cool to see all of that in, you know, Stroll. What a drive from him. Just, uh, what, it was yeah, a great. He did, he did yeah. what, what was required of him like it was he, it was a good strategy tidy yeah. and the strategy worked it was a good strategy gives, but he it made it those, work yeah it gives those teams and those drivers the opportunity to to go a little bit aggressive on strategy and to take a chance and to see if they can get something and that that's an admirable thing i think yeah yep. so I, I think i think germany was a really great race fantastic drive from max um, yeah yeah i mean it was overall it was a very exciting race and Oh, it's very exciting. Yeah. It was great to watch. Great watch. Um, and, but, and Hungary it's, as well. Completely different circumstances, but yeah. nonetheless a very engaging spectacle, I thought. I thought so, too. I mean, it was, compl- it was exciting for different reasons, but it was still thrilling and watching, like, Lewis slowly hunt down Max, and, you know, it was kind of like... that. That is also interesting to watch, you know, like a driver gaining and... It's, well, Mercedes yeah. played it perfect. Oh yeah, right. Strategy. Yeah, I agree. They they tricked Red Bull onto the onto the wrong tires. So they were playing games in the pit lane. Did you see that? Yep, they pulled their 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 um, team out into the pit lane. Now I don't know. Are there regs that govern that? Like you know, there is. Yes, your, there you're are. Not supposed to have your team out unless there's a you have committed to, effort yeah, to pit or whatever. You have to have the actual intent to pit. Right, okay, so how do you measure the intent to pit? Well, I think you can't just send your guys out there, lap one, and be like, we're going to come to pit road. <laughs> you know, Do it every well, that's, lap. That's what the they did, race. right? They sent their guys out there a couple of it times. Was, yeah, I mean, it was... It was more than once. It's kind of thinking. a silly rule. Like, how do you measure intent? You know? And not only that, but who cares? Like, yeah. let, them, let them play games. Yeah, I'm, I agree. Just let them do whatever they want, you know? It, it, yeah, I agree. As long as it doesn't... Um, I think the thing is it, it they're worried about risk with the pit crews but you know as long as you're not like right you have teams like stumbling in and out and tripping over stuff right. and so ferrari keystone cops <laughs> and ferrari yeah yeah forgetting but, tires yeah but i agree like you know mess with the other teams you know make it confusing and yeah i agree and it worked like that they, they tricked red bull into an earlier stop than perhaps they were intending yeah I felt a little. Lewis out. I felt a little bad for Max, but you know, like he's, he comes I mean, on the radio once again. You know, my tires are bad, and they're like, "We know." It was kind of like, "Yeah, we screwed up the strategy." Like, <laughs> there's nothing. <laughs> Sorry, I mean, there's nothing you, they could do, right? Like, you can't. You can't just say, "Okay, we're gonna completely scrap the strategy," and then at that point, you're right. gonna finish down the order. Exactly, and you win and lose as a team, right? Right. You have to, you have to go with those calls. Yeah. Well, unless you're I, a certain driver. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I think Red Bull themselves, it was a new position for them, right? For so long, they haven't really been in the position where they've been leading a race and having to react 
yeah. to cast behind them rather than having to play the play the uh, assertive game from behind. No, and I think that's where they are strong is they're good at that wacky come from behind strategy kind of like make it work, you know? I think that yeah, this is the first time they've kind of been defending and having a defensive strategy rather than like you know what? Screw it. We're going to put you out on you know, the softer or the harder tires and see if it works in the rain, you know? And right. Yeah. They're good at if Mercedes does A, then we do B, and if they do B, then we do C, and so on and so right. forth. Total opposite Ferrari, which is if Mercedes does what we think, you know, um, everyone try to do, like, Chinese fire drill and figure it out on your own. Uh, just just run around with no idea at all. Yeah. yeah, and so it's definitely a different thing to try to be the leader and be the charge, but look at Mercedes. You know, they're normally not in that position, and they executed perfect. But, but they have experience of execution in general. Like that's that's what they've been doing for the last three or four years is just executing each race weekend, mm-hmm. and that showed in this strategy. Like they played it perfectly. He got Lewis out there behind Max on tires that were hell of a lot fresher, and they knew that he was going to run out of tire at the end, regardless. Yep, and he did. So looking at these two last races, though, I mean, what's happened mm-hmm. to Renault? Like, that's a great question. Um, two uh, races, no points. Um, yeah, DNFs in um, at the German Grand Prix, and then yeah. laps and down. And crash. Yeah, and laps down, and just even even if you're laps down and whatever, you should be beating the racing points. You should be. At minimum, if you call yourself a factory team, you should try to be better than McLaren, right? And yeah, you, if you're a factory team, you should be beating the customers to which you supply your engines and drivetrain. And at the end of the day, there's no debate who's better between McLaren and Renault. When at the beginning right. of the season, it was like, wow, this is going to be a really good Formula 1.5 between Renault and McLaren. Who can figure it out right and who can keep going? And they've been nowhere. I don't understand it, honestly. Like They have the resources. They have the team. They were fairly strong last year. They have, they the, have drivers. the drivers, yeah. for sure. So I will defend them a little bit. They, uh, I'll defend them long-term, <laughs> not short-term, okay. because they suck this year, and I did not expect that. So sure. they, with you know Cyril at their head, have built a brand-new facility, and it just opened last year. And so mm-hmm. even though they've been in for a while, meaning as you know a constructor and as an engine provider – they're almost a brand new team in the sense of revenue and using that revenue to create a product. So I do think they'll get better. But again, when we talk about stuff like that, you hear Andres Seidel talk about a five-year plan and businesses, five years is a very common plan, right? Renault, I don't know if they want to wait five years and right now they're (laughs) trending down. And so I I don't know. It's, it's always weird to see a team that you expect to take the next step up instead, take the Haas step of doing a couple steps back. Yeah. And the history of formula one has taught us this, that, you know, your time is short to produce results. Mm -hmm. And I think Adita Bull will be under enormous pressure from, shareholders of Renault, this is a public French company this is uh, the French brand, the French national brand and they will be expecting a lot better and you know you can argue new factories, new teams new infrastructure, all you like but results have to perform, yeah. yeah results are all that matters Yeah. and he has the drivers, he has the engineers we think, 
Um, maybe there's some changes to be made, but they you know they have solid names there with a lot of experience and yeah. some and things not being managed correctly. Yeah. I mean, no no offense to McLaren, but if you can't beat McLaren with Danny Ricardo in your car, then you know I I think that. <laughs> you just can't lose to the guys you're providing engines to. <laughs> yeah, you, no. you got to think your budget's about the same as McLaren. Yeah. McLaren just came from a different engine last year. This is their first year with this engine. Their chassis is, you know, was terrible last year. And they're already talking about moving on to a Mercedes engine in the future. You know, this is a team that's in very fluid motion and very, you know, it's not like a, we know how bad McLaren's been. You should be able to beat them. And if you can't beat them, you should be really, really close, and it's just not happening. Yeah. But I also think I also think McLaren's been killing it. I think Lando and, and Carlos have been put in some really good drives, and I think that they have. They, the team has executed decently, and the car is – it's not the most reliable, but it, it's miles better than it was the past couple of seasons. Zach Brown, to his credit, he's hired the right people. And, yeah. and they've, you know, I always love hearing when they say we have to look inward at our failures. You know, any company that can say that um, and, and then correct it, you know that they're doing the right thing. And th yeah, that speaks to the McLaren ethos of history as well. That was always their, their way of operation back to the Ron Dennis days. Um, well, and I think it, it takes a couple of years. I mean, with Ron Dennis, he was there forever, you know. So then to completely bring in a new person, I think it takes a while for it to kind of. Yeah, and you have you have to you have to fit to. Yeah. Both the new person coming in and the new person coming in has to fit to the team as well. Right. It's an adjustment on both sides, and that takes a couple of years, as we've seen. And they've made some pretty big changes as well, with um, Eric Bull left, and you know a couple other things too. So. Yeah. yeah, and changing an engine supplier. Yeah, engine supplier. Yeah. They got James Key in. And he, yeah, they have so much turnover from ownership because the ownership was different than, right. what, what was that, like a couple years, five years ago or whatever. Yeah. Um, and the entire board's different. Uh, but one thing that I really do love that McLaren's doing is if you consider the results for the last five years, obviously terrible they are bringing in massive amounts of sponsorships in comparison to their finishing position. And I think that's really good. And I really hope to see, you know, just kind of that trend of, um, cause we know it takes money for motorsports. And so the more they can do that and other teams can do that, it's just good for the health of the sport. Well, and I think if you just, you just look at the car, they're like the, they're very much of like the, you know, like ounces make pounds kind of philosophy where it's kind of like, you know, any small sponsor we can get that's bringing in money, you know, that's good. Because, like, if you look at their car, <laughs> there are just logos everywhere. You know, it's and just... Yeah, again, that that's that's a shift away from the Ron Dennis oh, yeah. years as well. You know, it's like when, Marlboro. That's it. Well, they, well, Marlboro and then they used to be, you know, first they were the Honda factory team, right. essentially, back yeah. in the late 80s, early 90s with Senna. Then they were the factory Mercedes team, and Mercedes and Ilmore were splendid with engines. So they were branded just with Mercedes and West. Right. That was it. And then Vodafone. And, and then they moved away from that philosophy when Dennis and Whitmarsh moved on to be more of a, a modern team in that they could rely upon multiple revenue streams and they could be 
flexible with respect to management structure, boards, sponsors, engine providers, drivers. Right. There was there was more of a shift there. Well, I just um, think that if you don't have if you don't have the backing of an OEM or the money of a one big sponsor, then that's the way you got to do it. You got to just go and say who's willing to give us money, how can we make the partnership work? And Right. Yeah. But it's not small companies. I mean, it's no, Dell, it's, it's Cray Supercomputers, it's Coca-Cola, it's all sorts of just massive multinational uh, corporations. There's so. a tobacco company in there too. I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, British American Tobacco yeah, yeah, with it, yeah. uh, a better tomorrow. Yeah, whatever that's silly. DAT a better tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I think well, of course they were I think they got famously sponsored BAR back in the day. I think that got nixed for the Indy 500. I think that they were going to have that on the car and they couldn't or I don't know something mm-hmm. like that, but I'm pretty sure there are rules against that <laughs> in America now. There are. Yes. <laughs> um, um yeah, but for better or for worse, yeah. mainly for better. So uh, going back to the Hungarian Grand Prix, uh, yes. you know, Haas is kind of getting it together, but the way that they're doing it is realizing that they made a mistake in going all the way back to Australia spec. They're reverting to Melbourne spec, right? That's that's their big idea. It's oh man, yeah. Something so, worked in Melbourne, and then we changed something and it didn't work. Let's go back to what did work. Yeah, I just I don't I don't understand how a rather large. I mean, it's not a small team. I mean, they're not huge as far as you know Ferrari or Mercedes. But like, how can they not figure out what they did wrong? Like, it's been a few races. Like, it's not like there's uh, they're still trying to figure it out. I just I don't know how they can't figure it out. Like, it's it doesn't make sense to me. I, I would just argue everyone does that. I mean, Ferrari's gone back on spec this year because yeah, it hasn't worked out. M- McLaren last year obviously was a disaster with their B-spec, yeah. and they said, screw it, we're just trashing it. Uh, Racing Point has announced that they don't think that they're getting the upgrades that they thought from earlier in the year. Obviously, Renault, they've turned around and started driving backwards. So <laughs> I, I think I'm, when you're on such a razor's edge, yeah. if it impacts you a tiny bit, you can get away with it if you're Ferrari because second place is second place as a constructor. But when you're in Formula 1.5, you can't. And yeah. if you do that, you're SOL. Yeah, the margins are that much smaller, I think. I wonder yeah. if they're just taking big swings at it. Like, they're they're not fine-tuning it. They're trying to find a lot of time. I, I, think, I think it's one of two things, right? You either have the fact that it could be that they're taking, you know, big steps and punts in various directions to try and close the gap. Or is that the regs at the moment and the regulation book and rule book mean that the cars are ultra sensitive to tiny changes? And if you don't have your error modeling, your CFD, your wind tunnel exactly spot on, then you could be led astray very easily with those results and go in the wrong direction. Yeah, especially with lack of testing. Yeah, right. With the testing ban that's that's been a feature of F one for the last couple of years, then. You, know, you can't bring this ever more important amazing design in your CFD system and test it out and then realize what's right and what's wrong. You kind of throw a little bit of it in the dark and hope for the best. And we've seen this before, right? There was a team a couple of years ago. I can't remember which one. Was it... It may have been Jordan back in the day where when Mike Gascoigne was there, they were getting really weird results from their wind tunnel testing. And... There were unre- 
unreplicatable on track. And eventually it was realized that there was actually a fundamental design issue with their wind tunnel that was affecting the results rather than <laughs> anything that was happening on track. Yeah. And they had to scrap nine months of development and go back to the, to the start. Like, mm. So that's at something this that's point, super critical. every manufacturer, to my knowledge, uses the same wind tunnel test in uh, Germany. And it's owned by to- Toyota, actually. And it's supposed to be world class. And that's one thing that McLaren's doing is they're revamping and they're going to build their own wind tunnel because they feel that there's issues with CFD, right? And there's issues with the virtual world of creating a race car and that. And so maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. But it's apparent that something's happening where a lot of these teams are getting it wrong. And it might be just because they're desperate and they're trying. It might be because there's a fundamental design flaw between the virtual world and the real one but yeah it's, it's a hard and hard world to be trying to design a car well i, I know that mercedes certainly at brackley have their own wind tunnel in their own cfd department because i used to work there um or i did for summer anyway um when they were bar and so you know maybe they're they're less uh, sensitive to this because they've had that infrastructure and that system in place for for that much longer than the other teams but i you know, I imagine that Ferrari has the same thing. Ferrari was so bad that when Toyota folded, they bought the files from Toyota of all their CFD. They oh, were really? yeah, they were so backwards and lost that because it's you know it's obviously super complex that they had reached what they called the point of no return, where their model was unfixable, and they totally bought all of Toyota's. Uh, information and CFD and and their engineers and stuff like that. So, you know, not trying to trash Ferrari. These are super smart people that are running these CFD programs, but it just goes to show that it's so complex that you can be led so far astray that you consider a lost cause. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, And, you know, maybe with the rec package changes coming up, that'll simplify some of the error rules and, uh, Made these yeah. guys a bit more predictable and, and less sensitive to these changes. Yeah. I think that's what I want to see is just, I think it would be better for the casual fan to have the car, at least from a visual standpoint, be a little more simple. I think that, uh, yeah, if you can just make the cars less sensitive and. and Here's an idea single complex. plates, rear wings, no end plates, no fancy stuff like that. Shh, you're describing IndyCar. <laughs> but but on proper circuits yeah i mean i i agree real drivers <laughs> no I, I i agree i think that yeah i mean just make the car super simple you know i think keep it simple they can, they can is a still good be a case for modern yeah. motoring technology like hybrid systems oh i yes. agree i agree 100 percent. I, I just think that if you keep it simple with the arrow and all that stuff and and you just I don't know. I just want to see cars that are just like less complicated and, and sensitive. And then when you, hear, I, I don't know. I just, I hate when I hear a driver like, yeah, we qualified fifth in qualifying and it was great. And then we got to the race and the car sucked and I have no idea why, you know, it's like, what, how can it change that much? Yeah. yeah. Speaking um, of sucking and no one knowing why. Yes. Um, what a segue. Mr. Pierre Gasly. That was good. I, I like that segue. That was a good segue. Uh, yeah, I like that. Um, yeah, Hungarian Grand Prix. Max 
was leading for a lot of it, finished second. He lapped Gasly, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, he did. Gasly was a lap down in six. So days. that's not really acceptable from your teammate. Mm. No. Without any major issue. I like yeah, he didn't have any major issues. He didn't crash. He didn't have a puncture. He didn't have a weird pit strategy or anything like that. He just got lapped on his own race pace. So Yeah. yeah. And I think you said a couple of episodes ago, you know, there's a chance that Gassy won't be in the car for Spa. Mm. And what's happened? Well, and we were we were promised that there would be no changes this year, which means yeah, we knew that, that was a lie. We knew there would be. <laughs> we're wrong to yeah. you, Christian. We know what's going on. Yeah, I know that Christian uh, listens to this podcast. He's a big supporter of he's us. He's a big fan. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I I feel we've talked about this. I think. It, it's been kind of looming in the public displeasure by Dr. Marco. Well, yeah. It, you know, it, it resonates. When he says something negative about you, he means it. And he holds grudges like nobody's business, right? And, and also, he, he's, he's the single-handed architect of the Red Bull Young Driver program. Like, Unfortunately. Um, yep. for, for better or for worse, he's the man in charge. Mm-hmm. And what he says goes. And, and so we came to the conclusion, you know, yep. the three of us with our amazing... With our insight, vast knowledge, yep. yeah. Years of experience. There was no one that is suitable to be in that second seat. So Apart from no Brendan Hartley. <laughs> well, <laughs> we all have our loves. We all had one, and the other two said no. That's um, true, yes. We, 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 were, we were divided and split on yep. the potential for any replacement. But and now you're instead, right. We went with uh, they went with uh, Alex Albon, who has competed in ten races total in his F1 career, if that. Yeah, and has been all right. I, I'm not trying to take anything away from him, but it's a hell of a gamble. Let's be honest. It is. He, yeah, I agree. It's, he's not outperforming his teammate. He. I mean, yeah, he hasn't. He's scored fewer points than Kvyat. Kvyat obviously was skewed by that podium that maybe you can argue that Albon was in a better position before the last round of stops. Maybe you argue that, but, you know, yeah, that's, but it's, that's it's, all it's, hypothetical. But the positions aren't even, like, it's not team orders. Like, Kvyat's outraced no. him. He's passed him on pace. They And we've seen it. Like, it's been good racing between them. It's been very clean and respectful. But, they've been, you know, they've been at the end of the day, it's Kvyat out front. I mean, it's... I mean, and no respect to Albon, because he's doing... doing a, did a very good job too but i don't know it, it... for for his first season in formula one he's been doing a great job very yeah. clean very professional very media friendly and and good drives but, but everything he just said does not give you a drive in a top three in my opinion it doesn't no. just a... and now he's being given he's being thrown to the lions unfortunately and i yeah. actually feel a little sorry for him I would want opportunity. Yeah, I wouldn't want to be a driver at Red Bull, unless my name was Max Verstappen. I don't want to be a driver. He's at Red going Bull. up against one of the top three drivers in the world in any motorsport. Yes, in a team that's been built around him with a management structure that's been built around him, and, and being car, told probably a car too, a car that's been designed around him, hundred <laughs> percent. And the support system. I mean, we there's nothing that's been positive that's been spoken about Gasly coming from the No, he's camp. just trying out to dry. It's 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 a little shocking. I mean, even last year ways. with with Daniel, like it's very clear. Like the whole time it was very clear what Red Bull's intentions were. Yeah. You know? 
Like, and that's, that's why Danny Rick had to leave. Like, like Christian you, can argue, says, you can argue the point, but that's why he had to go. Like Christian says, we're trying to give both drivers, you know, the same equal chances. But based on what you see on track and the strategy and, and everything from the team, you're kind of like, I mean, if I'm Daniel Ricardo, I wouldn't feel that I was getting an equal shot. No, or, he didn't. You know, and he didn't, he didn't. And he left. And I right. don't blame Daniel at all for doing what he did. <laughs> no, he he he, made, he had a punt and, you know, this season hasn't worked out, but time will tell. Yeah. Time will judge him, ultimately. I saw an interview with him recently. I think it was Top Gear. He was talking. He's like, the the interviewer asked him if he regretted it. And he said, you know what? Like, it wouldn't change anything. I wouldn't be winning more races than I had been. Like, I would still be getting podiums probably. And, and I'd still be finishing behind Max. And, you know, it, it's not. Yeah. If we take the finishing position out of it, at least he gets to choose his own adventure. Yeah. Rather than be second fiddle. And so some people would rather choose their own adventure and Ricardo is that person. And so yeah. I I do not think it was the right move if he wanted to be win races and have an illustrious career and you know have a chance, the super far outside chance of a world title. But at the same time, you have to make it if you're him and your aspirations are to lead a team. Yeah, and and he's seen historically, he's seen uh, Schumacher go to Ferrari. He's seen Lewis go to Mercedes. Top drivers that are going to teams that are historically struggling mm-hmm. and being able to build a legacy with those manufacturers, and that's what he wants to do. With right. When Lewis went to Mercedes, everyone thought it was a mistake too. Yeah, and you know, had he stayed with McLaren, he wouldn't have five world championships. Absolutely not. Yeah. It's so, uh... it's it's time will tell. So but... how do we think he will do? You know. Right now, Gasly is probably, whichever McLaren's faster, is right around Gasly's pace. Would you guys agree with that? Like, I'd, I'd say he's still like he's still the sixth place finisher. Okay. You know, yeah. He's the sixth place favorite in every single race. So put it this way. What, if they kicked Verstappen out of the seat and put um, Albon and Gasly in there, I mean, do we expect that much of an improvement? Would, would Albon beat you know beat him no, that bad? I, don't I, don't think think so. I don't think i don't so. think so i don't think albon would be any faster than than gasly he I hasn't mean, been he might, faster than kivyet yeah he might be a similar pace but i don't i don't think he's gonna well be. we'll we'll have to see but i think yeah. it, i think it's a big gamble for for both the team and the driver um i think I albon mean, can't Bull, say no that's the thing he can't say no no if you're in that situation you can't you can't no, you can't say no there. Yeah, I, I wish him the best. I, I just feel that it might not be the best step for his career because if it doesn't perform well, he gets thrown out because it's next man up philosophy at Red Bull. Right, and he's he's never coming back from that. He'll destroy yeah. his career. Well, Red Bull is just kind of. I mean, Red Bull is just kind of doing the you know throwing Hail Marys until they find the magical second driver to support Max. Like they don't care about people's careers or, you know, they just, they're trying to find someone that is a support role. And currently but, they, but that's, yeah, but that's, that's coming back to my point that I've been reiterating of these podcasts is that they don't need the young driver with a lot to lose to perform that support role. No, I think they Not need someone older. Like Brendan Hartley. <laughs> Jimmy Reichen. I mean, Kimi Raikkonen would be perfect. Kimi would be a role. great choice. He oh, doesn't yeah. give a shit. He's going to no. show up, drive the best of his ability, and then and go and have quick. an ice cream. And he's right. quick. He's won, he's, quick. he's won races, he won championships. Like He'll do right. whatever he needs to do. 
exactly. I forgot who's the head man at uh, Alpha, but they said after the Hungarian Grand Prix, um, they're like, Kimmy doesn't listen to anything we say in our debriefs before or after the race. He's <laughs> drove fast cars. He's drove slow cars. He's drove high down force cars. He's drove low down force cars. He just puts his music in and he goes out and he drives. <laughs> like, yeah. He's at the stage of his career where he could do that. So he may as well do it for Red Bull rather than Alpha. <laughs> I think Red Bull would be good to do with like maybe a Valtteri Bottas and maybe a couple of years time. He would, yeah. you know, yeah. I think Buttass would be pretty good in that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I mean, you need, I think you need that. You need someone that's more senior, has more experience, but maybe his acceptance is not going to win a championship. Right. It's, it's the mental state of accepting your role. And that's what Schumacher and Ferrari did so brilliantly when he was dominant, is that they always had a number two driver, be it Irvine, be it Schumacher, uh, sorry, not, not Schumacher, uh, Barrichello, mm-hmm. and then Massa of knowing what their role was and not a being required and be expecting to do more than that right and i think that's the issue with daniel i think that's the issue with you know any other young drivers that they're not going to come in and say all right i'm going to get in the third fastest car and i'm going to finish sixth every race right right you're going to say how many podiums can i get this year what's the best i can do i'm going to race my teammate as hard as i can you know, they're not going to run that support role and be like, what do I have to do for the team to get this other driver a championship? So I, th- I think it's going to be very hard for Albon. I think he's he's talented. He's done well so far, but he's still very, very new and very, very green. I, uh, I see him. Gonna be on him. I can see him getting spit out next yeah, year. I hope it doesn't. He's a good kid. He is a good he kid. Is. He's super, he's, he's very sweet and he does great interviews, you know, and he, He's, he's, he's obviously got some Yeah, he's a good driver. Like he, he's the good package for a team. But I'd, I'm hate. I'd hate to see his career just destroyed because shocker yeah. of all shockers, he's not fast in Max Verstappen's team. Yeah, and you know, first uh, race up after the break, Spa. It's not going to be an easy race for Red Bull. That's not well, quite it, where they perform. Yeah. Well, and it's a difficult in general. It's a difficult track. Yeah, but I um, think it's yeah. I think it's yeah. going to be a straight. I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be a good race, but I think it's going to be Ferrari versus Mercedes. Oh, for sure. sure. I think sure. Red Bull is a distant third of that track. So um, the good news, maybe for Gasly, is there's less pressure on him. He gets to do his thing, which is maybe not the best qualifier, decent on long run pace, with less pressure. And and I'm going to be honest. I think there's going to be a decent amount of seats open in silly season. Um, yeah. Sure. You never know what's going to happen with Romain. I think Kubica's out. I, yeah. I don't think that anyone considers him going to be racing next year. You, uh, can't, qualify, you can't qualify a second slower than your teammate. Yeah. It doesn't matter how slow your car is. You can't, you can't qualify that slow. And I love Kubica. You know? I do yeah, too. But it's just time to move on. I, I thought he was going to do really good considering where he was at, but nah, it just didn't work, which happens. Um, Giovinazzi... I wouldn't stick by him. I haven't heard anything saying that there wouldn't be, but whatever. Um, Hulkenberg, you never know. He's always around there. Um, I would assume he says stays, but I could see him jumping ship for a good offer. Yeah. But I think the racing the market. Point, yeah, I think racing point cars will stay because both of them come with 
large Money. paychecks. Um, Perez is probably <laughs> the biggest pay driver. I mean, Stroll's not going anywhere while Lawrence yeah, Stroll is in no. charge, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, but it is Money Man number one and two with Stroll and Perez. So as long as those two guys are paying the bills, I don't think they're going anywhere. But point yeah. being, I do think there will be some seats available. And if you can just do, if you can tread water mm-hmm. for a little bit and then really come on strong towards the end of the year, and build up his mental and really get towards it. I think he might have some offers going forward. I don't yeah. think it's good for Gasly that he's losing the seat, but I definitely don't think it's worst case scenario. Because I, I think anyone can look in, into that situation and see how difficult it is to be the second driver. He's, at Red he's Bull. Really, yeah, he's been given a last chance in the last half of the season. Yeah. Yeah. I think if he puts in some solid drives the last second half of the season and he consistently finishes ahead of Kvyat, he might, you know, yeah, and Kvyat's impressed. So if he can beat him, it looks good. And going back to Kvyat, he he said in an AMA that he had about a month ago when he got dropped by Red Bull to Toro Rosso that it was it destroyed his mental ability to focus on a daily basis. He was like distraught by it, and mm. it took him the rest of the year plus being a simulator driver for Ferrari to really come back and appreciate it and enjoy it again. And so I just really hope that doesn't happen with Pierre. I, I hope that he can, you know, tough it out and, and get back into it. Yeah. Uh, I hope, I mean, Toro Rosso Red Bull have, have this, this philosophy, right? That's what they do. Hmm. If you go back to 2006 onwards, like they dropped Christian yep. Kleon, they dropped Scott Speed, they dropped Sebastian Bourdais, they dropped Kivia, oh, they Seb. dropped... Oh, Seb. Like, <laughs> the guys they've replaced them with, like, yeah. some have worked, some it hasn't. Sebastian Vettel worked mm. very well. Right. He was pretty good. Max Verstappen <laughs> worked pretty well. He's pretty yeah. good. Isn't... Jaime Algoswari mm, didn't really good. do so good. <laughs> not Max Verstappen level. He's not Max yeah. Verstappen. Um, yeah. Well, it's, just, have, yeah. it's just the way it is. It's, it's, it's their philosophy, you know. Three support drivers and one guy. And the number one, yeah. yeah. It was, it was, it was Seb. It yep. was Daddy Rick for one season. Yeah. And then it was Max. Yeah. So it's halfway crazy. through the season, we have Mercedes insanely far ahead. Yep. We have Ferrari in second as a constructor, with no chance of really coming back other than multiple miracles happening over and over and over. Uh, I mean, did you guys anticipate this runaway? No. Ultimately, at the Not beginning preseason season, testing. No. That's for sure. I thought preseason testing, I thought Ferrari was going to run away with it, and I thought it was going to be Mercedes and Red Bull fighting for a second. And it's yeah. clearly not. I put Ferrari as who I thought would win the WCC and and Mercedes in second, and clearly it's not even close. To be honest, I thought I thought Leclerc would have had at least two or three wins by this point. Um, well, you should have done. You should have had at least two. Well, yeah, I mean, Bahrain and Azerbaijan should have been both of his wins. Yeah, I think um, everyone anticipated Williams being this bad when you know preseason they couldn't even show up. Yeah, car. No, that's not a surprise. Yeah, they've been um, struggling. Other than that, but, any surprises in like 1.5? Renault, as we've discussed, have been disappointing. Um, I think McLaren has been surprising. McLaren have been surprisingly Good. strong. Alfa Romeo, for me, have been surprisingly strong. Yeah, they yeah, mean yeah. they get solid points finishes almost every race. Uh, well, 
Giovanni I mean, has one point. Yeah. Kimmy has that point. <laughs> and Kimmy has 31. But can we just, we need to take a minute and acknowledge Williams has scored one point. Yay. It was technically due to a disqualification of another team. That's by the by. But they scored a point. Congratulations to Williams. Congratulations to Williams. And it wasn't George I, Russell. Honest, it wasn't George Russell. And I honestly, if you told me at the beginning of the season that they would score a point one and two that it would be Kubica, I would tell you you're lying. <laughs> and you know, maybe it's not fair. No, Kubica got the first point after his performance with Russell, but also it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Really. It doesn't matter. It, I, it's a point. I will say I thought Formula One point five as a whole would be closer to formula one yeah and it's it's yeah it's status quo where whoever's out in front whether it's red bull mercedes or ferrari is just you know they're lapping the entire field maybe a mclaren sneaks through on the lead lap maybe you know one of the other guys but for the most part it's not even close yeah at, at this point with respect to that we're just waiting for the next rule change yeah for sure and then we'll, when we'll see a, a sweep um I, but yeah um I mean, regulations and, and rules are always a part of motorsport, and Formula One maybe is, is too far. Uh, and that's why, that's why we look towards more grassroots motorsport. <laughs> do you see where I'm going with this? I do. Would you say a grassroots motorsport may be something like, uh, I don't know, the Champ Car Endurance Series? The Champ Car Endurance <laughs> Series. Now, <laughs> tell me about that series. So I, I mean, we've discussed it at length in this podcast already. We've we've explained the origins of our own team and how we're competing in the Champ Car Endurance Series. And last weekend was what we refer to as the huge ass family reunion event. Yep, it's the big and one. It's the big one. The VIR Twenty Four Hours, the Lifeline Classic. Yes, it's our Le Mans. It's it's our home race. It's the one that everyone typically comes to from out of town. It's it's the one that we want to do the best at yeah it's the one where we have a single a single largest um attendance mm -hmm. from all of our all of our members around the globe and it's the last typically it's the last race we do so it's kind of it's 24 hour race as well yes. like it's it's the big deal it's it's the real thing well and for the whole champ car like in general the whole champ car series the VIR is kind of a, a big yeah it's, it's a big event like, yeah. you know this year got overshadowed by Indy a little bit just because I would that say. was their, their first race and maybe we saw a couple of teams that would normally have done VIR choose to do Indy rather than VIR but there were still 80 entries 82 entries I think total like that's not a small field yeah definitely. and comp competition was fierce and yeah. we all we all showed up at VIR for this weekend I don't know about you guys I had a blast I did. I had a blast. Um, it was not the weekend that I was expecting, but uh, regardless of that, <laughs> it's the one you deserve. <laughs> <laughs> regardless, no, regardless of that, it, it was fun. I mean, every every Champ Car weekend is fun, regardless of the result, just because everyone's there and you get to see people that you know you don't see very often. So it's fun for that. But um, the twenty four hour is is just fun. It's it's cool to be because twenty four hour racing is is really not a super common grassroots level kind of thing. No, so the, getting the opportunity to do that is really cool. You know, I mean, outside of 
you know, some of the Cravantic 24-hour stuff, which is kind of amateur-ish. There's not really much amateur racing that you can do for 24 hours other than maybe 25 hours of Thunder Hill. Um, yeah. But that's borderline professional, too. Um, so, yeah, it's good. Does have one other? They do have one other one, yep. It's at Nelson, uh, Ledges. Nelson Ledges. Yep. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I agree time. that, you know, it's like you said, homecoming, and it's the most central location for the people in HJ that are in the States. Um, and so I think everyone makes a vested uh, approach towards going to the event. And man, I, I don't know. Every time I go there, I just enjoy the facilities. I enjoy everything about VIR so much. It's a great oh, yeah. racetrack. It's, it's a great facility. The The accommodation is great. The campsites are great. The, the facilities are you know, Snack bars open till late. It's open early. And it's coffee. good. Yeah, it's, it's, it's good. It's you go get good. a bre- you get a breakfast sandwich. It's you get like a you know sausage egg and cheese biscuit. Everyone it's, likes that breakfast sandwich. Well, it's a homemade biscuit mm-hmm. with like a fresh fried egg. You know, it's it's decent stuff. So yeah, it's it's a good place to be. Also, right, one thing's to make it kind of like home. Tom does a uh, trivia motorsports trivia that is so much fun. And- I love it. It's so fun. I love it's, it. It's not easy. I'm going to say that. It's not yeah. easy. No. Um, and then other teams like Race Bar, they do a big cookout for anyone that wants right. to show up. Yeah. And and we do um, team karting. <laughs> which is also very Friday, fun. Which yep. is good fun. Like, we, good fun. We, try and make it, we try and make it. I think um, one of our team members said, it's like race con. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's something for everybody. It's it's fun for the whole family. Even if you're not necessarily driving for the car, you're still actively involved in the team, and it's a it's a strength of it's a test of stamina for for everybody involved. And what a surprise! I like you guys more in person than I do online. (laughs) Yeah, we're we're more uh, commendable and and well. No, that that is kind of an interesting point you make. Is that so? We we. In Huge S, we have a group chat that we're very active in and we chat on a daily basis and, and we're all, I would say, good friends. But like when you get to be with someone in person, it's a totally different experience, you know, like so like you might have this persona of someone in your head when you see them chatting online or, you know, talking yeah, in Discord. But then when you're standing there face to face with them, it's a completely that, different. Experience. There's more nuance. There's more nuance in person. Right. Exactly. And... And it's difficult to be an asshole if you're standing in front of the guy you're being an asshole too. Is it? Uh, for some, for some of us. For okay. some, for some, yeah. <laughs> Not for everybody, but for some of us. Um, um, but it is cool experience, and it's a very cool experience because this year we were able to um, meet one of the guys that uh, has largely been a, myst- a mystery, mm-hmm. um, and that's Sven. He's he's from Germany. Um, he's dominated the Reddit Eye Racing League, and he's yeah, and up until be- last year was a faceless. We call him the robot, you know, because he's so yep. good. But you know, no one knew what he looked like. No one had ever met him, and no, and certainly within within the environs of eye racing, like he's very highly rated, very yeah. fast. Um, yep. And it was interesting to see what he would be like in real life. So how did that go? Um, we learned very quickly. Um, Sven went out on track. We had a pre, pre-race test day on Friday. It was a mm-hmm. eight-hour uh, session into divided into two sessions on Friday. Um, open track day, basically. And um, we got the car shaked down by a few people. And then we put Sven in the car to get him some 
time just so he could get acclimated. So the first time he goes on track is not under race conditions. Yep. Um, and rather, unfortunately, he didn't make a whole lap before he <laughs> spun the car into the tires and did a considerable amount of damage to the car. Unfortunately, yeah, it it was it was a real shame. Personally, yeah. um, not not just because I'm financially responsible for the car. Um, it was it right. was more of a shame on a human level because we don't want anyone to feel bad about their their association and responsibility with the right. team. Well, it, a, it, yeah, it was. There's a clip of that, and when he hits the tire barrier, and like once the initial shock wears off, because obviously you're just in a wreck, you're in big old shock. You just hear him, you know, scream out, and you just hear the emotion. I can't. And uh, yeah, I listened to it um at, on our way home with Shane and Bueller, and I mean, we watched it like two or three times, and we were just silent. Like, yeah, it was heartbreaking. I remember later, maybe it was maybe lunchtime on Friday, I found the clip. We weren't sure if the live stream was even running. Right. Um, and so I was just checking. We were sitting there eating lunch, and I checked to see if the live stream was up. And I was like, holy crap, Like the live stream was running during the accident. So I went and found it. And I was sitting there with JP and Jeff, and we were, we were watching it. And I just could, I couldn't finish watching the clip. Like after he wrecked the car, he was just so distraught. I just had to turn it off because it was just so heartbreaking. And it's, it's difficult because going out there already, he doesn't have a lot of confidence because he's never raced a car. Um, and then he goes and stuffs the car. And, and then you're like, what little confidence he did have was completely gone. Um, immediately as soon as he got back, he was just like super upset. And he said, I'm not racing tomorrow. I don't want to do it anymore. And understandably. So I mean, yeah, we respect that. Um, and that's, you know, that's yeah. fine. Um, um, but, but the actual incident, um, it was just, and he was just overwhelmed. He yeah. went out there and, and um, he got overwhelmed by a car coming up behind him quickly. And, um, he made a few rookie errors that are easy to make and it took the wrong line into a corner and lifted at the very wrong time. And, and, you know, it, it was, it's, it's not, it's not like he outbraked himself or, or did something stupid. It's kind of an easy thing to do. What he did was he was yeah. underconfident and he spun the car because he, he, was, he just, was overwhelmed with certain yeah. sights, smells, sensations, whatever. Yeah. And he made a mistake that normally he would never make. And mm-hmm. it just was the wrong place at the wrong time. And, and uh, man, know. it was so close to not even hitting that tire barrier. So oh, yeah. Yeah. where um, he spun off was, is all it is, is there just for the flag stand, I believe. Right. And yep. man, ugh, just, and it, it's, it's a lesson for all of us. It's, it's, we've been lucky as a team and, you know, our team history of bringing drivers from the virtual world into the real world. And we've had a lot of good luck in having mm-hmm. drivers that have that have acclimated and and found a groove pretty quickly. Um, mm. And but it's a reminder that that we've been lucky so far with that, and that it only takes one little error, one little dip in confidence, that it can have really profound effects upon. On the driver in the car. Um, yeah, how many yeah. teams do we see with their car mangled in the garage every single race? Yeah, absolutely. And, and those, those are drivers with a lot more experience, probably, than us going out there on yeah. track. 
But before we scare off everyone with our massive impression, <laughs> there is some good news about this race. Um, yeah. that, was, that, that was a silver lining. Yes, there uh, is a silver lining. I mean, I would call it, well, more than a silver lining. Uh, luckily, we have some amazing mechanics and just yep. mechanically inclined people. Um, you know, I, I consider and the myself... the racing community in general. What was that? I would say the racing community in general. Oh, for uh, yes. sure. Yeah, yeah the Chantacock community in itself. And, yeah, so. and so I, I consider myself kind of mechanically inclined, but everyone else on the team, not everyone, but lots of them just blow me away. They, they know exactly where to find anything they need and how to do it, and mechanically they can fix it. Yeah. And so that's yeah. what the team got to do, um, was rip apart the car and get her back to going. Um, yeah, we sprang into action, and we replaced yep. the diff casing. We replaced the rear main seal. We replaced the slave cylinder bolt. We replaced the left rear axle at midnight during the race. Yep. Yeah. Um, so we didn't get to start on time. No, we um, missed uh, about 90 minutes or so. But uh, to think, an hour or two hours before the race, we start to pull the engine. And to be what an hour to an hour and 20 missing, and that's it? That's how fast it takes to... I looked at my entire yeah. transmission. Yeah, we started. I looked at my watch. Uh, it was ten o'clock, I think, when we started. Yep. Yeah. So it took us three and a half hours to remove the engine in its entirety, put apart the transmission, replace the rear main seal, put it back together, fill it up back with oil, put the engine back in the car, tighten everything up, test it, then put it out on track. That's not bad by anybody's standards. Which, you know, we had to borrow an engine stand. Or you know, engine right. hoist. We had there was, it, it's not it's not like we're working in a garage with all the tools and every, you know, thing you need. I mean, working in the in the paddock of VIR, it's a glorified parking lot. You know, I mean, it's it's difficult. So, you know, I, I think we did the best that we could with what we, we had. Did a job, and yeah. we're thankful as well for the Champ Car community. They, you know, if we needed an engine hoist, we ran over to mm-hmm. you know, the team running the uh, the Lexus SE SC three hundred. Yeah. You know, do you guys have an engine hoist? For sure. I'll bring it over in my truck. Right. And the guy it's helped brilliant. us. Yeah. And he helped us put it together. Yeah. He pulled it out of his truck. He he's like, Oh, it needs this, that, and the other thing. He was just super genuinely helpful. Um, I walked over to a team. I don't you know, I don't know anyone there. I mean, there's people that I've seen at races, but I don't know anyone there. So I saw a team that had a big hauler and two Miatas, and I was like, Let's go over there and see if they have a differential housing. And they did. And we talked to the guy and he's like, You know what? I don't need this one. You can have it, you know, buy it from us or whatever. Yeah. Which I said um, this to I said this to Alex when we got back. Alex, the team owner, our co-owner, uh, when we got back to Richmond, and I was like, you know, you see these really weird cars out there, and it's cool, but it's really also nice to race a Miata, and there are fifty other Miatas. It feels like, and you can say, hey, do you have a, a axle that we could buy, or a, you know, we we even sold some parts. We sold a a transmission and a radiator to another team that yep. needed, you know, so it. It's good to have that community. It's karma. Right, it's karma. Karma, karma balances out. And right. It's karma with the C, I like to call it. Um, yeah. And so, yeah. Yeah, we still got, you know, all these travails, like all the, the parts that I've mentioned. Um, I was out on track, the throttle cable was loose, I came to a stop, had to get towed into the paddock. <laughs> By the way, that's what I woke up to on Sunday morning. <laughs> <laughs> I walked out of my tent, and I was driving to the paddock, and I was like, is that our car on the truck on the <laughs> It is. 
It is the, the yeah, the, the first time I've ever been towed in, in our car at a track. Uh, yeah. Something I don't really want to do again, but... I don't blame you. We, we um, patched yeah. it up and sent me right back out there, that's for sure. No, but, you know, part of racing is, is dealing with adversity, and we definitely had a lot of adversity to do with this weekend. And we made the best of it, you know? Um, I'm so proud of our team, the way that we dealt with it. Um, through the mechanical and, yeah. issues, through being able to fix that, through then still being able to maintain a pit strategy and a pit schedule yeah. on the back of that. And then for the drivers themselves, who went out there and lapped as quickly as they ever have done. All, all, yeah. all four of our returning drivers were faster than they were the year before. And yeah. to you know, race cleanly, no contact. I don't think anyone had any contact with another car. I actually no, I tell you, I had a little bit of contact with another car, but nothing more than I would say what, a brush. Con- I would say that if we did have contact, it was it was typical normal racing contact that you. Yeah, would it was but it was but a scratch, just right. frankly. Um, you know, when there's you know whatever eighty of his cars that are out there, there's bound to be some touching. <laughs> um, <laughs> Is that what they say? <laughs> that's not what they say. It sounded really dirty when I said it, but um, I think too within the context of the greater racing season that we've had, I was just really happy that that we were out on track and competing, regardless of the fact that we were thirty some laps down. You know, right. And we finished thirty yep. third yep. overall, yep. in a field. I think there were eighty two entrants total, top fifty percent. And we finished, I think, half. I think we finished top half of our class too. So I mean, yeah. And see, we have a throttle cable. We have to replace the whole, you know, take out the motor, put it back in. We have to on the fly in the middle of the night when half of us are asleep, replace the axle. Yep. And oh, we still probably got what like twenty two hours of drive time. Yeah, we uh, twenty one and a half total. Yep. So it wasn't like we were out there for four hours and really proud of ourselves. That car ran yeah. a bunch. Yeah. It ran over 20 hours in 24. And unfortunately, I think most of the issues we had were resulting from the incident. Yeah, um, they were. Certainly the diff casing, the axle, and the seal were all... And I would say even the throttle cable. I mean, we had to pull the whole engine yeah, out. Yeah, I mean, that's... The throttle cable is part of it, too. The fact that we're pulling stuff in and out, and, you yeah. know, someone forgot to tighten it up the whole way when they were putting it back in, and eventually it worked. And the alignment on the car was a little bit Alignment was a little and, off. The handling yeah. was a little off, but... Yeah. You know, we put drivers in there. They drove drove yeah. the wheels off of it. We Evan, unfortunately, Evan, almost <laughs> Evan literally drove the wheels. So, <laughs> so it's it's eleven thirty at night, and we just put Evan in the car. And Evan is very quick, and I'm I'm sitting there, and I I was the one that was manning the radio, so I'm sitting there, and he comes over the radio, and I I just hear like the end of a message. It was like. Yeah, weaving wildly on straights and i was kind of like can you repeat that you know because when you hear that you're kind of like right there's another car weaving wildly on straights can you report it to the pit marshal you know the the marshals or something you know but yeah he, i very heard clearly over he said the car is weaving wildly on straights and i was, I was really confused because I'd, I'd actually just gotten out of the car i was yeah. in the car stint before him and i was thinking I was fine when I brought it in like 20 minutes ago. What'd you right. do, damn it? What the fuck have right. you done to my car? <laughs> so, so then I said back to him, I was like, well, if you think it's dangerous, bring it in. And right. I feel like Evan, of all of the people, is willing to drive through most issues with the car. 
We call him Danger Mouse for short. <laughs> you know, like like he's very confident. He knows Miata's like the back of his hand. And so when I said to him, if you think it's dangerous, bring it in. And he says, I'm going to bring it to you guys so you can check. Then I knew it was kind of like... We knew oh. it was kind of wrong. <laughs> like something must be pretty wrong with the car if Evan isn't willing to drive it. And sure enough, he gets in and, and I was like, just take it right back to the paddock, you know, because that's where everyone is and all the tools yeah. are. And uh, we jack up the one side that we were having issues with the wheel bearing being a little loose. And we, you know, it wasn't any more loose than it had been. And so we were about to send them back out on track. And then someone was like, well, let's just check the other side just in case. And so we jacked up the other side and the the driver's side rear tire had probably two inches of play. Um, <laughs> basically, the only it thing holding the, off. Right, the only thing holding the tire and wheel on the car was the brakes. Um, the axle nut had completely sheared off. And it was missing, and and like yeah, at that point, I'm like, okay, I'm just glad that it didn't come completely off, and because that could have been a very very bad. That could have been a bad thing. That could have yes. been a bad thing for sure. Um, so we were able to repair it, but um. Props to Evan for not crashing the car, first of all, with that insane issue. Um, yeah, he, sure. was, he was definitely a little spooked, but he props to him, too. I mean, he got right back in the car and, and started doing pretty quick lap time. So, I mean, um, yeah, that was rather interesting. But Yeah, and I mean, despite despite all that with a wounded car, with a, with a patched up suspension and, you know, a couple of the other drivetrain, we were all faster than we were the year before. Yeah. We're all we're all getting there, um, and the other thing every too is year that, we we gain experience. Yeah, I was gonna say too. The other thing is that I felt like pit stops were way better. Oh, so much better! Like you know, so, like, for, for those yeah. listening, um, Champ Car has a rule whereby for a normal pit stop, when you refuel in the car, the time from pit in to pit out has to be minimum five minutes. Right. And, you know, that can be tough to, to meet that target when you're having to refuel the car, change drivers, and do anything else you may need to do with the car, be it check pressures, check oil, clean the windshield, make sure the lights are working, change the drinks bottle, change the radio, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, last year, the year before our first race, we'd struggled to make that. We were slow at pit stops. Yeah. This year for whatever reason things clicked and i mean certainly for the ones that i saw and was involved in we were done way before we needed to be done yeah every pit stop i was involved in which was most of the ones during the daytime at least yeah. were done and we had a minute and a half left on the timer and we had, um, we had which to basically is, hold the car yeah so that it would get to the end of pit lane by the five minutes which is an ideal situation because then it gives us well, a chance yeah, exactly. It gives us a chance. Like I, I remember, we would finish a pit stop, and then I would go and I would check the brake pads and the rotors, and I would, you know, give the wheel bearing a sh- shake and and just make sure everything. You know, you might notice something there. You might say, "Oh, hey, we're missing a brake pad," and don't send the car back out. Or you know, that it's would good. be concerning. Yes, it's good to it's good to feel confident and, and get the stops done. And I know personally, like my responsibility in the pit stops is usually to change the cool suit stuff Mm -hmm. and so i remember previously and to get to it you had to pop the trunk open there's a ratchet strap there's two clips you know and i remember last year doing it and i was so frantic like trying to get the stupid thing and you know fiddling it and (laughs) and like and and i i would be so slow just because i'm I'm trying to go too fast this year i felt like i was just like you know on it just like pop it open new thing in old one out you know trunks closed you know then i'm you know you're not worried change you can check the oil level and you can clean the windshield or you know whatever it is so yeah 
And that, Our execution's getting a little better too. So when we get into the chance where we have a very competitive car and we are right. leading the race, we're going to be there and and be able to turn it around quickly. Just like Mercedes, we're getting the execution down. We're the yeah, opposite we're of Ferrari. We are the opposite of Ferrari. We have the execution down, and we don't have the fastest car. Ferrari so probably have the fastest car. They have no execution. But uh, I do want to give a special shout out to our producer, Michael Derby, who was up for most of the 24 hours. I did that yes, last year. I could not do it this year. I, was, <laughs> I, I told myself that I couldn't. I was going to stay up all, all race long like I did last year, but I had to drive my car three hours home. And I was like, I can't stay up for 24 hours and then drive home. So I actually got um, a decent amount of sleep. But Derby, you were up almost the whole race. Props to I you. Filled in for him for one pit stop, and I believe yep. that was all that he needed was a quick little nap and go. I mean, yep. And yeah. I did a pit stop too, where I put on a very tight fire suit. Oh man! Wow. <laughs> yeah, I put on one too, and I couldn't reach above my arms, and I couldn't touch below my knees. So, uh, but that bit of the middle was awesome. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't sit down, or I barely got over the pit wall. It's okay. No one wanted you to sit down. Full said it was fine. Mm, yeah. what i'll say is check out the instagram mm-hmm. oh dear yes um, but yeah during yeah, the he's... last two years has missed like three pit stops or something so props to him i've missed more speak, than that. speaking as speaking as a driver personally it's so good to be able to have faith in your team to run a race in your absence so you can go and lie down for a couple of hours in the middle of the night and try and get yourself refreshed for the next stint yeah um, and just having that peace of mind that actually you don't need to be micromanaging and no, on everybody constantly, that's so, so valuable and I'm so grateful for the fact that we have a team that now we have that experience that we can execute in that way. Um, well, I can especially since better things. Yeah, especially since you and Alex are both driving the car. Like the last thing you want to be worried about when you're driving the car is you don't want to be worried about who's going to be there at the pit stop. Is the car right. going to fueled up? Is the car going to, you know, whatever. Like you, you don't, if, if at all possible, you just want to be focused on getting ready to get in the car be calm and collected and not have to like yeah, shouting it say to be to know. be able to drive then to, your, to maximum of your ability and i right. remember like the first year we did the 24 i was managing every every pit stop i was telling exactly you know who had to be doing what who was wearing what who was standing where right it was it was a distraction from my driving and it's yeah. and i think you know both aspects both the pit stop and the driving suffered because of it yeah. Are you now able have... to enjoy um not the driving part more, but the just the being in a champ car race more? Or are you still yes. kind of kind of just nervous the whole time? No. Um I mean so part of the, part of that is experience just because I've done it a couple of times now. But also because I'm not coming through Oak Tree with the back of my mind thinking, I hope someone's there at the pit stop when I pit in a couple of laps. I know that's taken care of. So I can concentrate on racing. We and did so, talk about just packing up and leaving while you're out there. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Um, if I came in, if I came in and no one was there at all, that would be very distressing. <laughs> but it, it's it's such it's such a um, I think it's a positive thing to to be able to rely upon a, a larger team in that respect who know their roles, know their responsibilities, and can manage that side of things with less input from those of us who are more experienced. That we can really then start to make tries and next year. Yeah, fingers crossed where we have a sorted car with a bit more power, stickier tires, alignment, 
that hasn't been backed into a wall the previous day, <laughs> um, then, you know, we can be competitive. Yeah. I did want to mention, just because uh, the crew has a little bit more uh, things under control, doesn't stop people like Alex Albert from coming over the radio to tell me that <laughs> David Haynes and Sven and his sister better be out of the hotel room before 11 when checkout is, or they're going to well, owe yeah. 50 you, bucks. <laughs> you, you, you could take some stress away from the imagination, but... Uh... When your you name's know, on that, when your name's on that lodge reservation, I'm sitting there in the pit box. I'm sitting there in the pit box, and he keys up the mic, and I'm thinking he's, you know, where am I at compared to the people behind me? You know, whatever. And he's talking right. about get them out of the hotel room. <laughs> oh man! That's why you guys should just camp. Camping was fun. I was fun. I am morally opposed to camping personally. Camping was. 1000% better this year because last year it was like 900 degrees at 2 o'clock in the morning. And it was still warm this year, frankly. It was warm, but it wasn't nearly as warm as it was. It was a lot so, less humid at the night, too. So. It was a lot less humid, I, I, I will grant that. That said, one of the great things about VIR is the fact that there is accommodation on track at the yes, facility. several different locations. I had a pit lane room this year, and I think I will get one next year as well. Yeah, I never got to ask you about that. Was it worth it, do you think? Yes, it was. It's a little bit more expensive than the lodge, but the fact that I could walk from from our paddock area... Oh, so our, close, yeah. ...from our RV, from our, from our pit stall, to an air-conditioned private room with a bathroom and a fridge and a pack of Gatorade and... Yeah, lie down. You can walk from my tent to there, like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but your tent's not air conditioned, and for this soft British. This is the goal next year. Bueller, Chris, myself. We're gonna get like eight people in a four-man tent. That sounds horrific, frankly. It's gonna be awesome. Com completely um, unrelated. I've decided I'm gonna I'm gonna get a room next year. <laughs> I didn't say yeah. your tent. Okay, good. Just a tent. It's okay. fine. Don't worry about it. Anyway, Champ Car Race was good. We we had some adversity. It was, and you know we had the some boys and girl and girl. Yeah, we always make the best of it, and uh, regardless of where we finished, you know it was still a lot of fun. We got through it, and you know I just want to say again, thank you to to Champ Car and VIR themselves for putting on such a great event. We love it each year, and. You know, thank you to the Champ Car community for being so welcoming, so free with their with their expertise and their their generosity and supplying tools, parts, advice, drinks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, it's really such a such a lovely and welcoming thing to do every year. And mm. we'll be back next year, and we're going to do better. There is a Champ Car employee that came by the pits and was like, "Hey, do you guys have anyone that you want to throw special thanks out to?" And we're like, well, everybody, because this is, <laughs> this is what happened. We uh, had to buy an yeah. axle from these guys. We had to borrow a hoist from these guys. We had to get this from these guys. We had, uh, you know, sold a radiator to that team. I mean, it really was, like you said, it, it was everyone. And it was so welcoming and just such an amazing experience from multiple angles. Yeah. Oh, we we gave a team a diff fill plug from the broken differential. <laughs> I just remembered that, yeah. Yeah, we did. The team came over, they were running into the Miata, they needed a differential fill plug, and we okay. have a diff, diff case <laughs> we have broken one, in two. We have one we're not going to use. <laughs> we ain't using it. All yours. Yeah. And, you know, 
that that's the way it is and it's something that we that we appreciate a lot yep racing is good it it builds character and it's a good community <coughs> overall it's a lot of fun. it's over man i've been i've been trying to buy a miata the last couple of days really <laughs> and I'm just, i went and i test drove one yesterday and it was the biggest pos i've ever driven my entire life yeah. and it was a pulis <laughs> no no this one uh was up for sale and but it, it's just that constant thing when you, when you get done with a champ car event and you oh, the, champ, the champ car hangover is real yeah it, it really is you have withdrawals and you're all right let me uh let me watch this let me go oh, see if i can buy another miata let's uh, what's so it's so real for me i got home and i ordered tires for my car and like, <laughs> like what do i have to, what what are the remaining things i need to do to get my car on track so i can get some track time and eventually get to champ car you know so like, I, I almost bought a miata yesterday i'll be honest with you <laughs> yeah you like that? it was it's yeah, yeah. It's, there you go i you know i i don't i can't possibly have another car so i would need to sell my current car but you, uh, yeah, I'll race you. How about that? <laughs> no, that's a ridiculous. I love my current car. Yeah. It's perfect for where I am. Live in New York City in Brooklyn. Like it's not exactly the best place to have two cars. You can't. I couldn't possibly have two cars. It's hard enough car. to have one car. <laughs> one car is a struggle enough, and the little GTI is perfect yeah. for that. Nah, you good. just need to move out with Evan and own all of the Miatai. Eventually, that's the plan when we move into the huge ass commune. Yeah, I was gonna say the out west is. somewhere. Is that like a ghetto or? No, it's gonna, be, it's gonna be. It's gonna like be a big a, ranch for Miatas. It's a big, it's a big ranch out west. <laughs> yes, I'm, I know, but like, do we have to big skies? Like, you just have to pay a certain percentage of your income each year to the upkeep of the Miatas, and then with any excess, we put that towards the huge ass racetrack that's gonna be on the property. All I'm saying is I'm not drinking any Kool-Aid. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't need to be Kool-Aid, it's just oil. Is that going to be a one-to-one ratio or replica of the, the ring? It's going to be a Nordschleifer, but um, one-tenth, because we can't afford that much land. Yeah. Um, or asphalt. Or asphalt that much. Yeah. It'll be on dirt, but Champ Car will still race there. It's going to be awesome. Perfect. 24 hours of Rallycross. But yeah, uh, Champ Car was great. Uh, yep. We're not sure if we're going to do any more events this year in real life. Um, we're thinking maybe doing a, an event with AER at Summit Point um, in the yeah. fall slash early winter. But that's really now, having heard about the uh, the issues, the mechanical issues the car has had this last weekend, we need to get those fixed first before we move on to any other plans. Um, yep. But I think it's been a good way, if this is the last race of the season, we took the checkered flag. Mm-hmm. And that is something that we can all as a team be proud of. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, we'll, we'll still continue with the podcast because talking bollocks to the World Wide Web never gets old, frankly. Mm-hmm. And we'll keep bringing you news of the car as we get it back together and seeing how we're doing. Absolutely. But until then, uh, I think we can bring this episode to a close. Um, I've been Tom Ellison. Thank you for listening. Uh, With me has been Andrew Fawcett. That's me. And Alexander Cofford. Peace. (laughs) In the the booth has been Michael Derby, our producer. Uh, We gave him a shout out earlier, but he's been just tremendous support for the team, uh, both at the real events and the booth tonight for the podcasts. We couldn't do it without him. Uh, But until next time, thank you for listening. It's all for 
please feel free to reach out to us our email address hjmpodcast at gmail.com that's hjmpodcast at gmail.com take any feedback if you want to be on the podcast if you want to give us any advice any news any input happy to hear it but until next time peace out Bye.